Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that early childhood nerd podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. everybody, welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt Santi, and joining me again for this episode is Lisa Murphy. Hello. Hello. Thanks for coming on again. Thanks for having me. I think this will And be- I know I know this is an an auditory platform, um, but I'm very excited because I copied Heather and I have um, the same re- um, microphone now, and it's so cute. It's called a snowball, but I keep calling it a marshmallow. It does look more like a marshmallow. <laughs> And I think it's like called blue snowball or something, yeah. but it's white. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so. a snowball ice blue yeah. or something. Anyway, yeah. the microphone yeah. so is have, a lie. <laughs> I have a I have a fancy new microphone. I'm sure it will make me sound so much smarter. And a pop filter. That's what and really makes you filter. right. Yeah. <laughs> so we can make all kinds of noises. Yeah. I haven't found anything yet to take my sound out of anything. That's what I need is a filter. Oh, oh, you need a uh, a sound guy actually for that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have that. So you I need guess. a mixing board and a guy named Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have any of those things, but hey, we're doing a podcast. Yay. Uh, <laughs> so yay, Lisa and I are getting ready to talk today about an article that has pissed me off. <laughs> yay. <laughs> fuming and frantically looking up other resources rage highlighting rage highlighting (laughs) yes yeah so the article is called and this is actually going to serve as our quote for the um for the conversation too so the article is called close early learning gaps with rigorous dap subtitle very young children learn differently even from children in primary grades following a set of practices and principles can yield important gains for these children Mm-hmm. Hmm. So this is by Christopher P. Brown and Brian Mowry and was published in uh, Cap'n Magazine from Phi Beta Cap'n. Yes, which is the professional magazine for anyone who cares about K-12 through education and features articles about classroom practice, policy research, professional issues, and innovation in education. So that's... There's that. Yeah. 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 So so stay out of early childhood. Where do you want to start? Yeah, right? If you're if your focus is K through 12, let the early childhood people be the boss of, right. of before then. Um I, well, we do need to give at least proper acknowledgement. The one author Brian Mowry is actually an early childhood specialist. Mm-hmm. Um it, it, okay. So Well, I think and I think the tie-in is um this article is about what can we do to four-year-olds so that they're easier for us in school? Yes. So I guess there's the K to 12 tie-in is what, what can we do to get them ready for what we want them to do when they're in kindergarten? Well, and, and I, I, I kind of feel I've had multiple conversations with people this week that seem to still continue circling back to what they're wanting kids to so supposedly be ready for just straight up isn't even developmentally appropriate. And, and I mean, we can call it whatever you want to call it. You can, you can structure it however you want to structure it. You can give it a cute acronym. You can, you can call it whatever it is. The thing that that 
thing is designed to do is to get them ready for a program that is so far removed from what should be happening. That at the end of the day is my biggest frustration, I think, this week, is that that nobody is willing to acknowledge that... that the expectation in the kindergarten classroom is what is wrong. Right. Yes, I agree with that. Um, and one of the things that that also, in addition to that, was annoying to me is that so so DAP developmentally appropriate practice is used all the time in many fields, not just early childhood, but in the early childhood field, DAP was invented by NACI. Yes, like they wrote the book. They defined it. They, they they sort of are the go-to for that and put a pin in that. I don't think NACI's perfect. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but in NACI's own statement about school readiness, they put a lot of focus on schools being ready for the kids. Yes. And this whole thing is about using this phrase from our field. Well, but not even using it. becoming ready for the kids. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I had some I had some issues with the use of DAP in the context yes. of this article as well, because um, they they actually have an acronym of rigorous DAP, um, where DAP doesn't even mean developmentally appropriate practice. <laughs> so I think for I mean yeah. not to sound like a snark, but for a young yeah. practitioner, this could be very confusing. Yeah. Um, and, and, and also it makes a huge assumption that, that people in the field, even in early childhood, um, have a working knowledge of DAP as developmentally appropriate practice. And that's false. Yes. I mean, I don't have numbers for you. I, I have random data from when the PDI, the PLI conference with NACI was in San Francisco a few years back. The entire theme of the conference was developmentally appropriate practice. We did random polls in the hallway asking people, what do you know about DAP? Did you know there was a book about? And no, 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 no. So n- not to take the, the focus away from discussing of the article, it, it, it needs to be noted here as a springboard that people in our industry don't even have a working understanding of the concept of developmentally appropriate practice. And so to see it now hijacked potentially and yeah. used in ineffectively and inappropriately, I think can add confusion. Yes. And I think this is what I call reverse language of the wolves in me. Trying to reverse language the wolves on our field. <laughs> you know, you oh, talk about yeah. how yeah. we need to adopt the language of the wolves. I think this is an inappropriate use of our own language to serve yes, their I purpose. Agree. I, I agree. Um, one of the, one of the first art, well, I mean, the whole thing caught my eye, yeah. but the one that I, first time I wrote something in the margin uh, was down at the bottom of that second paragraph. It says, there is no clear consensus among policymakers, educational administrators, and elementary school personnel about the practices that early early educators should employ in their interactions with preschoolers. So I was like, so then maybe we should be the boss of the, of, right. Or, or at least be, be a part of this conversation. Right. I, and yeah. I, I really, I, to me, that's just more evidence of that trickle down that everybody thinks that just cause we're working with younger children, that somehow we are the same age as the children and, and somehow we're not in a position to be deciding mm-hmm. or or implementing what would be considered best practice mm-hmm. for the yeah. younger children. I, I do think that it's another signal of the disrespect mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of that that people who work in early childhood face. And I know that technically early childhood is birth to eight. Yes. I'm, I'm talking about 
preschool, you know, before they get to school for the purposes of this conversation. Preschool. Preschool. But not preschool yeah. as in only three, and f- three four, and five. Exactly. The whole thing. So, well, you made it further than I did before you were underlining and making notes because I Oh, got... I was underlining. That was my first, like, comment. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Because earlier, just right before that, it says, young children learn differently from their elementary school counterparts. And I don't know that that's true. I think early child or the elementary school counterparts are just easier to train into the system. Mm, mm. Um, but then it says they have shorter attention spans and they're just That's beginning to develop the skills of an intentional learner. And that offended me. I actually know Barbara Bowman, who is the lead author in that study that they referenced. Yeah. I had a sneaking suspicion that this was taken out of context. Mm-hmm. That's I've not the read I... the original article but yeah. but i'm familiar enough with with bowman to be like that doesn't sound right right there were actually several things in the reference list at the end of the article that i've read and i don't think fit what they're trying to make it fit uh-huh and um that's not one of the articles but like um i would like i would have liked some definitions actually the first thing sure. i wrote down was you know okay policymakers and boosting investment lagging behind you know it like what give me the definitions that you're using here right. um because otherwise i'm going to attach my definition and and i just want to know what you're talking about you know increasing school readiness well what are you calling readiness mm-hmm. i mean and and i and i i feel like when i bring up that point that there's certain people nowadays who probably start rolling their eyes like oh my god here comes lisa wanting us to define everything and you know what yes. yeah actually yeah. i do because you can't move forward a conversation in any real way if we're not all thinking the same thing when we if use the all... same words exactly <laughs> Which doesn't mean that, that I want everybody to have the same definition as me, but my I've made it quite clear over the last few years that I do have an expectation from people using buzzwords to be able to define mm-hmm. their understanding of that word. Right. And if you can't do that, you should not be allowed to use that word or write articles about what I should be doing in yeah. order to get kids ready, and you can't even define what you mean by that. Yeah. Well, and and this piece that I just that I just read about shorter attention spans and not yet being intentional learners, that showed me very early in the article that they don't understand development yes. before five. I uh, agree. Or before six, because they they do have shorter attention spans for adult led bullshit. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was but, my first thought. That it was like we know that children have her huge attention huge. spans. If, in fact, they're interested yeah. in whatever is being presented. You watch a three-year-old at a sand table and talk to yeah. me about a short attention short span. Sentence. And I don't even know intentional learner. Like, that just seemed insulting. It did. On many levels to me. So they, they sort of, it, I had to read it a couple times because I knew that yes. they had offended me early. And I needed right? to make sure but that that's I was a being testament objective to as you. I went through. And, and I will say that to the listeners. I mean, I, I you always have to read some things a couple. Like, I mean, uh, the book Ready or Not that came out a couple of you know, well, shoot, probably five or six years ago. Yeah. The, when I first read that book, I was pissed off. And I knew it had pissed me off. I felt like they aired all of early childhood's dirty laundry. Yeah. And so I had to go back and read it again yeah. with without that heightened level of, of emotion. And then I read it a third time. I wrote a book report about how I the process of what I gleaned from each read through. And, and, and that's important to be able to do instead of just saying, oh, this is a bunch of bullshit, which it might be. And then then not reading it because, you know, it, it's going to come up. This yeah. rigorous DAP is a current thing. 
whatever you want, paradoxes, too many said, you know, I mean, it's a thing that is facing our profession. And so we need to be familiar with both sides mm -hmm. of the argument or all sides of the argument. Um, you know, so just so we know what we're talking about. Right, right. And so I first came across that in actually um, an early childhood catalog. There's a book that yeah. has, has come from this. And I didn't want to spend, I wanted to know what I was talking about. I wanted to know what I was arguing with, um, but I didn't want to spend 35 well, bucks. I did buy it. So after I read oh, it, I'll, I'll borrow it to you. And Perfect. You can... Maybe I'll check it out from a library or something. But, <laughs> but anyway, that's where I found the article is because I thought, well, maybe I can find out what these guys think by looking at some of their previous writing. And that seems to be um, where this is all coming from. So the second, the second part of the the next section does actually jump into some definitions and they try to define what rigorous yes. means and what DAP means. So I, I looked at that. Um, uh, so it says academic rigor is the process of working with all children in a manner that addresses the whole child through hands-on learning experiences that challenge the mind and connect learning to real world, world contexts. That is, that is a much gentler definition of rigor than what I think most people are talking about when I mm -hmm. hear it in conversation or when I'm arguing with people about it. They, it's more like rigor. Right, like high expectations and and intellectual content and school subjects and um, and acceleration and pushing. <laughs> I think if you are honestly, truly being developmentally appropriate, there's rigor infused through that. And Absolutely. and even before we text uh, or before we recorded, I, I texted her and or Heather and, and I said, I, be I believe you could be rigorously developmentally appropriate. <laughs> and I think if you are rigorously developmentally appropriate, you are going to get what some people might refer to as academic rigor. Mm -hmm. And I, but, I, I think the phrase comes from this. I mean, it, it's all centered around this idea that there's an achievement gap. And that yeah. some children get to school so far behind that they're going to be behind always and they never catch up. And then there's all these negative um, uh, consequences of, of, you know, just school failure and not being able to read or whatever and dropping out later and employability later in their lives. And um, I, I just if you are really being developmentally appropriate, which if, if we look at the three core considerations, which I, I've mentioned a lot, I know. One is what do we know about children this age typically? Two, what do we know about these individuals in our classroom? And three, what do we know about the family and social context they come to us from or cultural context? And that's the information we use to make decisions about what to do with them. Then we shouldn't be talking about a gap because Correct. it shouldn't matter. If, if we're being developmentally appropriate, then we are prepared as teachers to meet children where they are and give them what they need in that moment. Um, and challenge them for what could be next. You know, I'm not against scaffolding and teaching yeah. and helping children learn, certainly. Um, but to start with a developmental norm and then just assume that some kids aren't going to get it if we aren't hard on them. Right. Um, is is well, that's, not developmentally that's, appropriate. It flies, exactly. And it flies in the face of what we know about how children learn and and the – and there's probably a technical phrase for this, but the, the, there's like a, there's a predictable trajectory, you know, not every kid. And, and I think sometimes people resonate with the, the walking, you know, how old was baby number one when he or she started walking and baby number two. And there, there can be gaps of, uh -huh. you know, this month and a year and somebody was 10 months old and somebody was almost two. And, but at the end of the day, everybody's walking. <laughs> and we seem, 
we seem to be okay. Like, like our brain makes room for some, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, a comparison, uh-huh. an analogy, or a metaphor, an example. Uh-huh. But yet, it, but then it's like it shuts off, uh-huh. and we we don't believe that it applies in other parts of a child's development, like especially reading. Uh If kids been read to, right, we know that probably they're going to become a reader. They might eventually choose to not read a book, but it's not because they can't read a book. And Christoxics, I'm not saying (laughs) but the importance of being little, Uh I, I wanted to be sure to throw out there that sometimes I think people don't want to be familiar with the research that shows that with direct intervention, you can close some of those gaps, that language gap that everybody likes to throw around. In her book, she straight up quoted the research that said when those moms in lower socioeconomic places were actually taught, this is how this is what good reading of a book, that gap, the word gap closed like almost instantaneously. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So we know that there's things that can assist. So why don't we ever shed light on that instead of just running around saying all pre-Ks need to start looking like this to close these gaps? Uh And there's a great TED talk that that one woman did that actually said that the achievement gap is a bunch of bullshit. And I was like, whoa. (laughs) And she's like, you want to close the achievement gap? You make sure that every program in the United States is developmentally appropriate and is play based. Uh And if you do that, but it, but see, that doesn't make anybody any money. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't sound good to people outside the field who are making decisions. Like it's really hard to convince some old white guy who's been a politician for his whole life, whose wife stayed home with the kids and you know, whatever, uh, that, these early learning programs, whether it's, and it's not all, it's not all universal pre-K classrooms in it's childcare centers, it's family childcare homes, it's nannies and kids, you know, whatever kind of situation children are in, um, that there's, there's things that are accessible, play, <laughs> reading to children, yeah, talking to children so, that can have but, a but tremendous this- effect on the kinds of problems they're trying to solve. Yeah, and so this to me, the the real conversation that needs to happen here is who are we letting work with kids? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you can talk about implementing these programs all day long. That's you're you're assuming that the people you're hiring know what they're doing, mm-hmm. and 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 everybody at this table realizes that that's not true. Yeah. You can't do that. Yes. <laughs> God, I had to breathe for a minute. <laughs> well, this, this, there's, this, it's such an onion. This topic is an onion. Yeah. And, and I, my concern is that moving forward, if we're not careful, we're making very dangerous assumptions at the core mm-hmm. of the onion. Like one, that everybody has an understanding of what DAP actually mm-hmm. looks like, sounds like, and smells like, right? That, that we, we, we actually have people who would know how to, close some of those gaps. I mean, we probably, we were all doing, I could probably sit here and we could write our own examples of when you, you know, you, you can tell as an experienced teacher, I knew who was being read to outside Uh of school and not, 
You know, we didn't need to have somebody pulled out and getting more assessments. You know, I needed to make sure that what I was bringing in was timely, relevant, real, meaningful, and interested, interesting to the kids. It's really not rocket science. And I think that we sometimes overthink it. I'm not denying that there's not a problem. I'm not denying that there's not a disconnect. I'm not denying that some kids don't get some of the things that quote unquote, they should have been able to be exposed to. Right. But it, it doesn't take a lot of effort to start filling where the holes are if you're an experienced and observant enough of an educator. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's maybe that's an opinionated rant, but I think if you're good at your job, you're you're doing this without well, well you're doing it intentionally, mm-hmm. but then somebody comes in and writes a report about it and you're like, "Huh, that's a lot of words explaining what I kind of just do." <laughs> yes. You know, ex- this, this this makes it, you know, it's like, "Wow, I Wow, it sounds really sexy what I just was kind of doing uh-huh. in the classroom. Yeah, I was trying to find. So in the article, he, he goes through and he's got this this teacher, Miss Hughes, which he's very they're very intentional about saying is not her real name. Yes. <laughs> um, and they, they're going through an example of a, a scientific inquiry that she's taking four and five year olds through about raccoons and all the things that she's that she's doing with them to meet um, state standards. And I'm trying to find... Um... Well, and, and just for the the listeners, because it's, again, we are able to see it visually. Yes. Uh, they It's the acronym of yes. what they've done. So then the rest of the article after this setup is that they go through. So rigorous, do you want to go through that yeah, really quick ahead, for your listeners? Yeah. So so th- what they're calling the practices, the practices of rigorous DAP in order are reaching all children, I, integrating content areas, G, growing as a community, O, offering choices, R, revisiting new content, O, offering challenges, U, understanding each learner, S, seeing the whole child, and then DAP, D, differentiating instruction, A, assessing constantly, P, pushing every child forward. And I'm looking at at all of those things, those all sound great. Those are all really, um, as we say, sexy little sound bites. Um, and who would argue? Well, and other than assessing constantly and pushing every child forward, right. uh, when, when I read what they are using for rigorous, mm-hmm. I'm like, that's what you should be doing anyway. I don't care what you're calling it. Yes. But as I read, the, I agree with you. And that's what I, I thought too. And as I read the examples of how she's doing that in these classrooms, yeah. it's really inauthentic. It's really not relevant to the children. I and, agree. And that was my, one of my big problems. Like it was like they were making it fit. Yes. They were finding examples of her teaching style that they were able to plug into one of their acronyms. Exactly. And the acronym. Yeah. That's one of the, one of the notes I wrote in the margin was, um, what they did is they thought they looked at what this what are we already doing and how can I make that fit what I think it should be instead of saying what do I know about child development and about each child and how can I then help those children develop and support that development. Um, well, they lost me at raccoons. And I mean, and you're, you know me, I don't know how many of your listeners know me, but you know, I, I, you show me which kid walked in one day and said, you know, I think we need to do a scientific investigation about raccoons. Yeah. Now, now, did that maybe come out after the kids said they went camping and the raccoon, you know, tore up their their campsite? Uh-huh. Okay, I could maybe get behind believing that, um, but I, I'm guessing it was more like it was our week, and yes. and so we needed a science thing. So 
you know, I just, all that, oh, you want to make education relevant, real, and meaningful to children, it needs to have stuff that has context with their real lives. And, and there is nothing, there is no better way to see what is relevant to a child than to just let them play. And yes, and and pay attention and observe. And you can still build on that and support that and um, add good rich vocabulary to that. All the things. Well, that- and that's that. I, I yes, and that was a big, huge part of another conversation that I had had earlier this week. Was that why are we assuming, continuing to assume that play, organic, pure play, doesn't do that on yeah, its own? Exactly. And um, so the other thing that like they threw they threw Vygotsky in here. Um, that's one oh, of yeah. their one of their sources. Um, she said, and scaffolding with Leon and Bedrova. Scaffolding, and it's all very adult led. But I, one of the things I love about Vygotsky, I think I'm 99% sure he's the one who said this, is that in play, children are a head taller or something mm-hmm. like that. So, yep. like, play in itself can be a scaffold. We don't always need to be sitting and saying, okay, well, you know, raccoon. Well, I wonder if you know nocturnal. Let's work nocturnal into this somehow. It's and... so, it's, it's so, or it's fake. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and it's all, and it's all adult driven. And one of yes. the things, not to get off on a Vygotsky rant, but one of my favorite things about Vygotsky is that um, he's one of the earliest authors that actually acknowledged that children could be scaffolding. I mean, Each I'm other. sure everybody else thought it, but he actually documented and wrote it, said it doesn't always have to come from the adult, right. that kids can do that. And everybody's got a scaffolder kid in their class. That's my Mackenzie. Yes. Mackenzie <laughs> is the best scaffolder in the world as long as you're not threatened by her her bossy personality. Yes. Yeah. And um, the other thing that got me, and this has sort of been on my mind, and I think maybe I've mentioned it in, in another podcast recently, the idea of choice, offering choices. Yes. And so in the in the examples given, the, the scientific inquiry is raccoons. And the choices are you can do this raccoon or this thing or this raccoon thing or this raccoon thing. And that is not the same. That is not a choice. That's allowing no. them to express a preference for three things that are offered to them. But that's not exactly. really letting them choose and follow their interest. And so it's not as valuable and it's not as rich. I agree. And if we're talking about the supposedly, uh, you know, achievement gap and experiences that children had not had, you know, showing up here in the first place, I can think of 99 other things that would be a lot more relevant than a freaking raccoon. That could still allow for some of these state standards to be experienced and oh, practiced. 100%. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing because the, both of the um, authors are from Texas, so I'm guessing this is based on a, you know, a, a Texas experience, mm-hmm. uh, a Texas preschool or, or, or yeah. whatnot. Um, I, I, not that Texas has anything to do with it, but, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, where I was going to go with that was that I had written a, a wolf book for uh-huh. Texas. Oh. I wrote California, Illinois, Indiana, uh-huh. and Texas, uh-huh. and I walked you through a Lisa Murphy ideal play-based early childhood room and linked things you'd see organically in play to every single one mm-hmm. of the Texas pre-K standards. Mm-hmm. So I, you're, you're talking to the wrong person right. <laughs> to think that you have so, to have some, and it's not even a freaking real raccoon. No. You know, it's some kind of, you know, puppet or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. I just, you know, at least make it something that's, that the kids could touch, like yeah. get, bring a snake in, in a, in a container or something or a fish. Mm-hmm. You can do everything that they're talking about, yeah. but still have it be based on something that's real. And I know I'm just finishing a rant, but on page that's 56, okay. yeah, 
this was one of this was a huge thing for me uh, un, uh, under understanding each learner, the almost the last sentence there. When children fail to grasp ah, a particular lesson or topic Sorry. of study, <laughs> it is more than likely due to the task or a lack of background knowledge rather than the concept itself, which means it needs to be real. Mm-hmm. But that's not how it's presented in this. And no. it's presented as a defense for all the different raccoony things that Miss yep. Hughes is offering. Yes. Which aren't real at all. Right. In um, a couple pages before she, uh, in the instructional practices section, it says the standards declare, which also immediately got my hackles oh, yeah. up as, as someone Me probably too. says, the standards declare that each four-year-old is to leave pre-kindergarten being able to identify and define the characteristics of organisms and the difference between living and non-living things. You know what else lets you do that? Picking up worms on the playground, yeah, rescuing the live ones, and cleaning up the dead ones, and, and talking the, about and how when to the tell. fish dies, <laughs> and when the plants die, and the plants get bigger, yeah, you know, all of that, all of that can be there. I wrote down my side snark comment to that sentence was, "I wonder if the authors can do that," because <laughs> I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, if the people writing the standards can't actually do the standards, then they should not be expected from a three, four, and a five year old. And, and, and that's one of the hugest inconsistencies in our profession, in our culture. It's not even limited yeah. to, the, to the profession. We, we, out of one side of our mouth, we say that children have their own developmental timetable. But then, but then we have these standards that say by the end of pre-K, all children will. That's a bunch of bullshit. That's not how kids right. grow. Right. And what, there's, what that means is that they think they all have their own developmental timetable unless a good, strong adult steps in and evens yes. them all out. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes. There was something towards the end. Oh, it's in the pushing forward section, which also okay. just the idea of pushing children yeah. forward made me want to throw up a little sick. bit. Um, but they, uh, her central goal as a teacher, one of her central goals as a teacher is to um, – Create a learning environment so that every child is successful in all areas. Yeah. I, I, the only way well, to do I, that is to let go of control and individualize the areas. <laughs> well, and the next, the next one is what the next statement. She achieved this goal by first knowing what knowledge and skills state policymakers have defined as essential for pre-K students to know. Right. And and what what ruffles my feathers there is that very 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 rarely do you have true early childhood people present at those decision making you know what yeah. meetings. Yeah, I underlined that and then wrote, that's not how we make developmentally appropriate decisions. It's not. We start with the children. We don't start with the and, state and, policy. And exactly. But created by people who've never changed a diaper. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Ugh. I mean, I and I've I've said this a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm getting ready to go back on the road and starting the, the workshop season. And... Uh, you know, what, one of the things that I started saying at the end of this last year was that I don't need every, I don't need every person in a policymaking decision to be knowledgeable in early childhood education. I'd love it if they were. Right. I don't need them to. I need them, though, to trust the people who are. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is a, a disconnect that's going to get a lot of my attention this year. Mm-hmm. Good. I it don't, needs to. It, yeah. You, you, you got to trust that we do. Yeah. And if you don't, then then that needs to that needs to be a conversation. 
and I'm not sure who it would be with. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be great. I mean, I I love I jump up and down when I hear like an early childhood person has done the the career you know trajectory of becoming a superintendent. You have an early childhood trained person <laughs> now as superintendents and principals. Oh, that makes my heart happy. Uh-huh. I don't need that everywhere. Yeah, I don't. I would love it, but I don't need that. I need you to trust the people who are doing the job. Mm -hmm. And in order to be able to do that, we need to make sure that the people doing the job are people who should be allowed to be doing it. I mean, there's, again, like you you said, it's an onion, and that's definitely one of the layers is um, our own field, our own preparation, our own staffing decisions, (laughs) and all that stuff. Um, that's, That's sort of a constant reality for me as I'm working on my master's and taking these classes that are supposed to be for an early childhood master's but are still very much focused on five and older and public school yep. kind of settings um, and and sort of watered down elementary school curriculum. Uh, so, so there's a lot to be done. But I think it starts with, with us... Uh, uh, speaking up when people tried to bastardize our language and our well I feel like I feel like another one of our phrases got hijacked yes yep yeah and 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 now it's being used against us right and (laughs) and 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 like readiness and universal pre-k and those kinds of phrases there's too many in our field who are like yes finally they're talking about us um but But let's make sure what are they what are they saying well, you know, not enough people are doing that, though. I think even even our own folks are like, God, we're finally part of the conversation. Hooray. And that's as deep as it goes. Or, you know, well-meaning people. Uh, yeah, adopt it's rah-rah. It's rah-rah. Yeah. There's not a lot of depth there. Yeah. I, I, I would like to point out that as they were wrapping up the article, and I'm not saying we need to be wrapping up, but um, <laughs> when they do list the developmental domains, uh-huh. um, they, they forgot language and literacy. Yeah, it's I, not even the domains that are outlined in the DAP book. Right. <laughs> right. They, yeah, they talk about physical, conceptual, emotional, and social. And in in Nacy's book about developmentally appropriate practice, it's language, yeah. cognitive, physical, and social emotional. Yeah. So that I was like, huh. Yeah. Maybe it was a typo. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, no, yeah. those are those are somebody else's words. Those aren't um those aren't ours. Well I I I will circle back and say that I do believe one can be rigorously developmentally appropriate, Absolutely. but in order for that to happen you need to be very, very well versed yeah. in developmentally appropriate practice actually means. True. And 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 do some soul searching about what you really believe about children. Mm-hmm. Because when we talk about having high expectations for children, which was also part of this conversation, for some people that means um, yes, and I believe that they are empty vessels and I can expect mm-hmm. them to absorb lots of knowledge because of or it could mean I acknowledge that children are competent and I can trust them. And yes. my expectation is that they will reach what they need to reach if I if I trust and support and facilitate for them. Good point. And that, that goes back to the have a definition. Yeah. If you're out there saying I have high expectations for children and I ask you what do you mean by that, don't – yeah, I, I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to say, you know, I'm not going to assume that that we're on the same page right away. Right. I want to know what you mean by that. Yeah, 
I just spent a whole semester assuming that a colleague and I were on the same page because we were using the same words and it, See? it was a but big crash when we realized, yeah, that it, that it was not. So it is important. I mean, I, I know that, but I didn't know that in that context. Um, so that's a good reminder. Hi. Well, also re- the relationship factor there too, right? It's it's probably a lot easier. I mean, I know some of us who've who've gotten to know each other um, in the last few years. Like, I I feel that we can push each other professionally and stuff. Like when it comes to that, well, what do you mean by that? And mm-hmm. nobody nobody gets their feathers ruffled, and nobody's nobody's thinking that we're being tested or being, you know, you know right. what I'm saying? Yes. I'm, I'm painting a clear enough picture. Yeah. And so there's there is that trust there that if I call you on it. It's it's not, you know, Lisa Murphy trying to test me. It's Lisa Murphy being Lisa Murphy. So yeah. what do we mean by that yeah. moving forward? Margie Carter <laughs> and Deb Curtis in their book, Reflecting in Communities of Practice, call that, and they may not have invented the term, but that's where I first heard, saw the term, was that being a critical friend and not ah. critical in terms of criticizing you, but helping you to critically think through yes. what you're saying. And that's that's part of our growth as we engage in that relationship is that we can then say, what do you mean by that? Or, you know, like when you and Tiffany and I were texting right before we recorded and she said that, um, sorry, Tiffany, I'm just going to say it before you've answered. But <laughs> um, she said that she thought rigorous DAP was a paradox. And, and so I was like, so you think it can be a real thing? You know, that wasn't me arguing or challenging. That was me saying, yeah. tell me more about what you're thinking is. Yeah. So that we can well, proceed also, with the conversation. Well, also, when... when... Like this, the, these two authors, they had a different definition of DAP. I mean, they were yeah. acknowledging, but they didn't give any shout out to NAYC. And I'm not really critiquing them on that point, but they, they, I don't think that they acknowledged that there is an existing framework of working with children that, if executed properly, is going to be rigorous. Yeah. No, I don't think but, they did either. I don't think they believe that. But they, they did include the DAP book in their reference list at the end of the did. article. Yes, and I was curious as to which it's the most recent version. Yeah. It, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, my next my next project is to look at some of these things in the reference list. <laughs> I'm just I'm on a mission about this stupid article. <laughs> well, that'll that'll uh, I'll move I'll move the book to the front burner in my own reading so that then I can Perfect. ship it out to you and you Report can report out to me. Re- yes. Uh, yes. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Maybe they get it right in the book. Who knows? I don't know. You know, I'm curious if it's the same authors. It is. Is I it? Think, uh-huh. I think there's a third author with the book. Okay. Um, but it's these same two that did this article. I, okay. Yeah, I double checked that when I was um, when I was getting things ready. Um, all right. Well, thanks. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about the world right now. <laughs> well, in in all honesty, I, I would like to see us making an effort of making sure programs are developmentally appropriate before we start worrying about the content of the rigor that's right. contained within that. If that, if that kind of makes sense, you know, let's, Absolutely. you know, let, let's make sure this is happening first. It's kind of like when, when NAYC put the, with put the tech position statement out. Yeah. And the, the when the, the final revised edition, I said very publicly that if in fact the program is already doing what needs to be done this is a good guide uh-huh. for adding tech to the program but the reality is is that child care is being done so poorly yes. in so many places that putting screens and ipads in their hands that's the least of our concerns right now let's get a sandbox for crying out <laughs> right. loud right? right and that's kind of the same initial reaction 
that I'm having with the, the concept of, of, of rigorous, rigorous DAP. Let, yeah. Let's, let's, let's make it DAP before we start putting the quantifiers and the modifiers in front of it. Yep. I think that's a really good place to wind this up. Um, so again, thanks for joining me talking. <laughs> thanks about for it. having me. Thanks for ranting with the article online with me all week. <laughs> and thanks everybody I, for listening. We'll see you again. Oh, sorry. I got all track, all sidetracked. Let me do this again. We'll see you again <laughs> on another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. Thank you.